Hello, welcome to Why Not Me. In life, we face many trials and obstacles, many challenges, and in the thick of it, we can be tempted to think, why me? But every obstacle presents an opportunity and every trial can bring triumph. So I want to encourage you to adapt a mindset of, why not me? When, when in the middle of it, when things are tough, look around and think, why not me? It's, it's happening for a purpose. And then when success is at your doorstep and all you have to do is open it, you may find yourself hesitating, questioning, is this for me? Do I deserve this? And I want to encourage you to adapt a mindset of why not me? Throw the door open wide, shout to the world, why not me? Embrace your success. I'm your coach, Todd Halls. I'm grateful to have you on this journey. Welcome to Why Not Me. Hello, hello. Welcome to Why Not Me, turning trials into triumphs, seeking and embracing success. This is Coach Todd Hall as your host. I am grateful, as always, to be here with you, listeners. So thankful that you're here and tuning in. Uh, may you be blessed. And I'm excited for our guest today. What uh, what an interesting background, an incredible story. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to share our guest with you today. Today with us, we have Craig Tank. There. Now, he's a Christian trauma surgeon, a high-level leader, motivational speaker, co-host of a radio show, and he's going to share with us stories of hope, inspiration, and belonging. His passion is to inspire and motivate others to live their life to the fullest. We're all more alike than we know. Craig shares how he went through chat tragedy and found triumph and how he gained strength in, an ad in adversity. Craig is also a dad. He's a grandpa. He's a husband and so much more, and I can't wait to dig into that. Craig, welcome to the show. Thanks, Todd. It's an honor. I, what an incredible intro. You know, I, thank you. That was uh, humbling. Well, it's the, the, there's a list of things to unpack there. I, I think, first, tell me about Tank. The <laughs> so, Tank, I, I, I played high school and college water polo. And um, got back in the pool in 2001 and played masters and um, played for six years or so and uh, began at a local pool. And then the it, 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 there was a big attrition rate and we got down to four people and that's not enough to, to do anything with. So we we'd scrimmaged another team at a college nearby. And so two of us went over and started working out with those guys. And that was a college team. It was masters and it was some of the local Jesuit high school kids would come practice there too. And then one day on the whiteboard for the beginning of the workout was from this day forward, we shall call Craig tank. And I'm like, old school. That's like, I'm really slow. I'm tanking it, you know, holding everybody back. And they said, no, uh, in water polo on defense, no one can get around you. So. It was a compliment that um, I'm a force in the water, apparently. So <laughs> that's awesome. Are you still playing? No, uh, but my my two youngest sons, who are 16, 17, are, and we moved out to Georgia two and a half years ago, and they played on a high school water polo team this year and won state championships. So I'm proud of them, and I got to coach. I, uh, they were a different. We homeschool, so they're allowed to go to the call uh, the high school closest to us if they've got a team. And so, the last two years, 
a different high school had a team. So we played with them and I got to assistant coach, which is fun. And then they play on a club team, which rolls into this other high school team, which is who they played for this, this, this season. So, um, just lucky that the, the team, the original team that they were on didn't, didn't get enough guys together. So, um, so they got to be on, a, on their club team, which is now a high school team for that part of the season. So it's good. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. How do you like how do you like coaching, and how was it coaching your sons? You know, I think coaching is amazing. So I think everybody, and you're a coach, so you know, we need almost a coach in every avenue of our life. You know, whether it's spiritual, whether it's uh, our business. Um, relations coaches are unique because, you know, they, they're experienced. They, they know how to coach people personality wise. Cause I read actually long and far ago, I read John Madden's book, the first one, you know, some people you just look at funny and they know what you're, you know, you, you did something wrong and you know it. So there's nothing else that needs to be said and others need to be, you know, driven in the ground and pummeled to, <laughs> to get motivated. So, um, and then there's a blend somewhere in between all that, right? So, um, and coaching the boys was great. It was um, the first team they were on. They had they had a lot of new players, so I realized I wasn't going to get to coach them as much. So it was teaching the game to people who have never played before. So can't touch the bottom, can't touch the wall, can't touch the lane line, um, can't use can't use two hands on the ball. Um, there's people who have seen it that I've never seen it before. There's a ton of whistles and you have to understand the fouls because it's kind of like a combination of basketball, hockey, uh, lacrosse and soccer. So, um, so it, it was fun. And then I got to coach them at the club level too. So a couple of times the coaches, um, were busy doing other stuff. So, I mean, one time I had, you have six in the water and a goalie. I had 20, 23 kids all, uh, kind of a, about a three or four year age span. So different abilities. That was a challenge, but it was a good coaching challenge. So I put some people that were smaller and uncomfortable positions, uh, just to get the experience. Uh, and it was fun to watch them discover, Hey, I can do pretty well against someone that's three years older than I am and a lot bigger. So it's fun. Yeah. And, and what, <laughs> Hopefully they receive it well. What a gift for those, for those younger guys to learn that and to learn that, you know what? I'm out of my comfort zone is where I find, what do you know? I found some strength there and found some abilities I didn't know I had, but you had to get them uncomfortable to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Pull them outside their box and think outside the box. And, and uh, the other time I got actually this last year for the, um, the high school team, I got to, well, it was the, the club team just before high school. I got to get in the water actually. And I was a two meter defensive person. So it's, that's kind of like the center in basketball. If you can get it to the center and they can put a, you know, a hook shot or a small jumper from, you know, only a few feet away, it's pretty easy or a slam. Um, and so that they're right in front of the goal and that's a battle. So I'm trying to drown that person and they're trying to not be drowned and get the ball at some point and make. A shot and I'm keeping them from doing that. So there's different ways that people can escape and all that game is playing underwater. So I got to teach those guys the, the defense of, um, how to guard the whole man, two meter set. 
Fun, 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 fun. I yeah. so I I I don't know that I've ever watched. I don't think I've ever watched water polo. So now I am going to. Now I need to go check it out because you you made it sound like a this sounds like a fun fun yeah. sport. It is. I mean, it, it, I hate to say it, but it is. It's a game of cheating. So you know, if you and that and explaining that to you know like a baseball pitcher and he's now coming in to play water polo. Like, I thought that's against the rule. Well, it is, but if you can get away with it, it's then you get away with it, right? If you can't blatantly grab someone by the heel and pull them back if they're ahead of you, but if the rest not going to see that, then that happens. Or in the hole, I mean, there's people that grab suits or I'll grab a wrist and pull the left wrist down so that that person can't turn me and in the water, spin me around in the water on his back and then now have the cage right in front of him, the goalie, and you can shoot. So it's it's like a wrestling match. And then it, teaching them the, the maneuvers to counter all those things was was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned as, as we started talking that you moved to Georgia, and I know from our, we were talking a little bit before the show that you moved from Northern, Cal, Northern California to Georgia. It's a huge move. Um, did you... And we've got at least two boys still in school. Did the whole family move east, or what's the? No. So uh, oldest, uh, she's thirty-two. She's becoming an arborist. She's working now for PG&E. So uh, before that, she was working with a subcontractor, um, and she goes out and inspects trees in like the wilderness and, and the Sierras, and and there are the trees around the power lines, and so they need to know. How close they are, what their, what type of tree it is, how healthy it is, how fast it grows, whether they need to come out and trim it back. So, um, she's, she's, that's a great job for her. That's her. She's like a, a Spartan athlete. She does CrossFit. So, um, she played volleyball division one. She's just over six feet. And, um, yeah, so she's pretty tough. And then the next was more academic. She did swim and did play water polo, but, um, didn't, didn't stay up with it. She was more like uh, they did mock trial stuff and, and student body presidents and those kind of things. Yeah, and She's now got my grandkids, so she's got a five-year-old daughter and then two twins that are just over one. Um, so three girls. And she lives in Sacramento. So, And she lives um, – so five kids, uh, two two wives. So first wife, I had the, the, the three, two girls and an oldest son, and then with Steph, I've had two boys, so three boys, two girls, and uh, Aubrey's still in Sac. She's just around the corner from her mom, so luckily, mom come over and help with the twins because it takes a village. Yeah, and um, yeah, she's pretty amazing. I mean, the sleep deprivation and the just getting it done—it's been pretty incredible. She's admirable. She first pregnancy, she finished college pregnant, and then I think she even had eaten for a while and finished finished to get her degree and then oldest son he went to cal poly san luis obispo he's a civil engineer he they have a special program where just another year they can do and get their master's so he got a master's in structural and he's working for boeing in seattle so he's up in seattle um Mm -hmm. he he likes the job he just got a promotion doesn't really like the weather that well it's pretty cloudy and rainy a lot of the year and he likes to be outside hiking and doing stuff. So, and then the two youngest guys are here in Georgia with us and true. It's 17. Um, 
he's a senior. He's going to finish this year, and he's applied to. I mean, I think his top two are Georgia Tech and um, University of Georgia. So, and then uh, he wants to be a, a mechanical engineer. He's always loved to tinker. He's just um, amazing at that. I remember he made out of ABS pipe a uh, potato cannon. <laughs> we we shot off in our backyard and. The explosion was so loud. I'm like looking around. I hope none of the neighbors think something just blew up. <laughs> but yeah, we got that on film. So, and then the youngest, I'm not sure what he's going to do. He's, he's very charismatic. So, and he's, he's got dyslexia. I think we all have ADHD, um, including my wife, Steph. And, uh, so, but I mean, he's, he's a good student. Um, but he, I could see him going into business for himself. I could see him being in entertainment. Entertainment, yeah, it's it's kind of wide open for him. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was talking to somebody just the other day about um, more and more students are, are, as they're graduating, they're looking to entrepreneurship or, or straight into some sort of business versus uh, college or even trade school, which is, you know, yeah. it's, it's an interesting time that we're living in where, you can get a great education if you're diligent, just by yourself, right? It's all, it's all at our fingertips, all the information and all that you could ever want. Um, but then being able to do something with it and having that discipline—that's that's a whole not, that's, that's a whole other animal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, true. The 17-year-old makes uh, wood cutting boards, so he's got a planer and all the woodworking tools to do that. And you know, the, the school they go to, we homeschooled. And was we were in a co-op for a while at homeschooling, and then the last couple of years we've had them in Ellen Global Online, which is a, a it's actually global. So there's schools in Guatemala and Kenya and other countries, but um, its base is in um, Oregon. Although I think it may have just moved to Texas, um, but it gives it gives us freedom to to move about and them to do school at their own pace, and, and, and you know that. The, the school when it was in Oregon was still on, you know, West Coast time. So they would start at 830 that time, which is 1130. So they've really never adjusted to Georgia time. <laughs> so they're up at one, one o'clock in the, at night or morning and, and uh, get up at, you know, 10 something Georgia time, which, yeah. That's interesting. So I want, just, I wonder how, so we've moved a couple times since 2019 and some fairly big transitions, Minnesota to Florida and then Northwest Florida to Southeast Florida. So about a 10 hour move and the transition on our son um, was a little bumpy um, on those bigger moves. Yeah. Um, and just, so how, how was it for the boys? And, and we can, we could just hypothesize and whether or not it was easier or harder because they were homeschooled and didn't have that school community that they were breaking up. How how did everybody adjust? They're eighteen months apart. So they're almost like twins, and so I think that helped a lot. They don't they're they're each other's friends. So, and because of the online Zoom world, Discord, and video games, they've kept in contact with their California friends by doing different video games or just chit chatting. Um, so it's been easier for them, but we've been well aware of, we, we, we picked a place to settle that would have, they like to do Dungeons and Dragons. So that we made sure that there was a community of D and D 
um, game shops uh, here and there, and they do that every Friday. So that's one way they've made friends. They they swam competitively, so they met people through swimming. They were they're Eagle Boy Scouts, so hmm. they they got that done before we moved to to Georgia, but then joined um, a troop here and made friends there. Um, so the, you know, the, and now water polo. So. Um, I always say that the swimmers go to the dark side when they go to water polo because <laughs> they end up not wanting to swim anymore. So the coaches, swim coaches hate us. Um, <laughs> get off my deck. Yeah. So don't attract the kids away. Um, so yeah, they, they didn't, but it's, it's still, you know, my wife and I want them to make friends here so we can have them over. And then, um, and that's, that's taken a couple of years for them to do that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting. I think there's, as you mentioned, there's the advantage with, with, with the virtual world, the online world, that the staying in touch with the friends back, back home, whatever that may be. Right. Um, but also I think because there is so much, um, social activity online, I think it's, it's a little bit slower to connect in person in the new location. At least that's, that's the way it seemed as we yeah, watched. I, I totally agree. Yeah. Well, yeah. as I introduced you, um, your passion is to inspire and motivate others to live their life to the fullest. What does life to the fullest look like? Well, from my job, um, you know, as a trauma surgeon and general surgeon that sees like ruptured aneurysms and things that are life-threatening. You know, I've had what I've been described as a close relationship with death. So every day going into work, I'll pass by people on ventilators and they're fighting for their life. And so I think I have that rare opportunity in my life of every day being aware of, I may not be here tomorrow. So, whereas I think most people, well, one, you really don't want to think about that every day because it's pretty depressing, but you know, I think it's just realizing, you know, hey, this this could be a what what's what's my purpose? You know, really self self development, self planning, and 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 then realizing what your gifts are. You know, minor empathy, teaching, and and healing. So, um, and then using those to serve other people. So, I mean, I get so much rewarding feelings from. You know, I, and anybody can do this. If you're in a Starbucks, so I'll use Starbucks as an example. You're in a car and you buy the person's coffee behind you. You kind of drive away with a smile on your face. They're never going to know who you were because you're in a car. So, but you did something kind for someone else. And so spreading that, that, that service mentality, I think, and realizing that we're here for a bigger purpose. Um, it's kind of my new, newer calling in life and speaking that way to help motivate people and inspire them and give them hope, you know? Um, and I just like, again, that close relationship with death, the last chapter in the book titled Ralph is about a friend of mine who was a RN Vietnam vet, um, atheist and, um, had this weird accelerated Parkinson's disease. And basically he retires and now he can't drive. He was a race car driver for a while. And I mean, everything was getting stripped from him quickly. Yeah. And um, I won't give away the whole chapter, but, um, you know, I, 
uh, the power of prayer and the hope that he he clearly gave by what I described in that chapter. Um, yeah, and we have that hope. It's like, you know, no matter what goes on in this world, especially now, I mean, we're close to potentially another world war. Um, and just looking at the, you know, life and, you know, what are we doing here? Yeah. 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 It's <laughs> as, as, a, as a follower of Jesus, it's, it, there is that hope and, and even the reassurance. Like I know how the story ends. Right. Um, I have no doubt it's going to be bumpy between, between now and then, but ultimately um, it's, it's a good ending. Um, yeah. And, and so, yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned the book and it's called saved, correct? Correct. Correct. Saved. One trauma surgeon's true accounts of the miracles in his life. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it, it, if you know we we travel this world so quickly, but if we don't stop to listen, we can't we can't hear things, and if we don't stop to look, we don't see things. And so, you know, I, I've I've done that, and you know, like I was on one trip in Honduras at a hospital medium size, probably 150 beds, but the government had just laid off half the health care employees the week before we came. They all came back to volunteer to do 21 surgeries and and then one more, which was the recovery room nurse's father, which is the story in the book um, that we had enough, you know, I bring all my own supplies. I had eight bags of stuff for that trip my own mesh, if it's a hernia repair, they had the instruments. I still bring some instruments just in case they don't. Yeah. So I don't know what they're going to have. But, you know, we're in this closet, and my buddy takes a picture of me in black and white on an iPhone and hands it over. Isn't this cool? And I go, don't you see that? Do you see this this thing to my when I left? And it, the, the cover of the book is a cartoonized uh, of that photo, and you there's a label saying – saying find finding God in the ordinary over where the miracle is. So, you know, before we left from the church that we left from, there were like four or five churches that went, but the main one that was supporting us had us get up on stage and I prayed in front of everybody saying, Hey, look, don't pray for our protection. Just pray that God shows his himself unequivocally to us and the Hondurans. And that photo, there's no my brother in law is um, of VR, uh, he works for a VR company, pioneered um, this company. And so he, his specialty is, you know, imaging, shadowing, and, and those things. And he says, this is impossible. The, the shadowing in that picture is, is a miracle. It can't be. There's a light coming off my left shoulder off of a board drawer metal cream-colored filing cabinet. So, and there's no light over there. There's only one light in the whole room, which is a window off to my left across the room or the closet as it, as it was. But yeah. So, and then the same trip, another photo, different camera that actually captures the guy that took the first photo. And there's this light around my hand from the skin of the patient that's on the OR table that you know, there's a light above, but it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. There's supposed to be shadowing and it's like an orb aura around my hands. So, um, there's a bunch of those just that have happened on these trips. So, and just, I mean, really just me being here today, the, you know, the book starts with, 
you know, I was an orphan for nine months. My natural mother was in Michigan and she started to show at six months and she was Catholic and she would have been shunned by the church. And so she moved to Monterey, California and had me and, and then kept me for 10 days and had me baptized. And I mandated the, the adoption was that I be raised Catholic and who better than a, a, a pure Irish woman born in Ireland and moved when she was 21, met my dad, and then they adopted me. So, um, yeah, that's just a miracle that I'm here because it could have gone a different way. So it's incredible. Yeah. So the book just, it goes, and it begins with my grandmother for 15 years. Look, you've been through some adversity in your life. You know, you, you, your mom, my mom was an alcoholic. We found that out when she was 11. I went to my first day meeting when I was 11 with my mom. Um, and that was an experience, but I think it made me an empath or helped. And then, um, you know, junior year, the year that I took anatomy physiology, which I knew what I wanted to do. The human body was incredible. And then I had a twist in the test just before finals and go to surgery and, you know, uh, almost, almost died. And then my, my challenges through college biochem major quarter system. So every day is accelerated and it's 10 weeks, not a semester of more, more days. You miss even a couple and you're behind. And yeah. so my, my mom, I get a call in the middle of the night. My mom's passed away. I go back. My all male floor is like, you'll never finish. I got back and I finished. I mean, sophomore year, I cracked my head and have spinal fluid coming out of my ear. And I'm in a health center for two weeks and I'm done at organic chemistry, bacteriology, physics, biochem. I had like 18 units. I think I dropped two. And then I, I, again, everybody was telling me I was not going to make it. And I did. And then junior year, my dad gets diagnosed with lung cancer and, um, you know, going through chemo and radiation. And he wants me to go to school because he knew what I wanted to do. And, um, then he dies during the summer between my junior and senior year. So yeah. And then just barely, barely squeaking into to med school. That that's another kind of funny story in the book. Like, you know, I, you apply and you get these thin envelopes, and sorry, you've you know, not been accepted. And the one left, which was UC Davis, and and that comes thin. And I'm like, oh no! And it says, congratulations, you've not been accepted. And I'm like, what? They said, yeah. How, what are they doing? And the next line was, you're on a wait list, and so. Sure enough, I don't know, a couple months later, I'm waiting for my roommate to call so I can come pick him up with a car. And I answer the phone, Craig's taxi service. And this lady goes, oh, this is the UC Davis Medical School. We're looking for Craig Thayer. Is he there? And I'm like, oh, just a second. Covered the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I didn't even wait five seconds. And I get back on with the same voice. And she's probably laughing. Yeah, here, you're in. So, yeah, miracle I got in. But. I did. Here I am. Yeah. Yeah. Those, uh, awesome. Awesome. Awesome examples. Um, so we see seeing God in the ordinary and you can like, like take the college getting into med school, for instance. Um, it sounds pretty ordinary by itself um, until you think of everything that had to happen to make to get to the point where you're answering the phone, Craig's taxi service, right? You had, uh, twisted, twisted intestine, you know, uh, s skull injury, 
parents dying and and like all all that and and everything still had to line up to for your grades and for everything else and it's just an incredible uh incredible story when you think about it how all the dots connect to get you to the point where the med school's calling and saying we're looking for you right yeah and i mean i and that's where my grandmother was you know it's like just get that out to people because i mean don't don't become the victim just take take the trial and actually smile at it because i mean the 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 more challenging the trial the more in 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 my faith god is teaching me right so to more that is given more is required um and so i i i never felt like i was not going to make it um i just knew that i had to dig in and just say whatever it took to get through it so and I think other people can do the same thing. So um, it's just, just don't give up. So, yeah, for you, because again, it's, you know, we're on, we're on the podcast, we're in our, we're both in a climate controlled environment and it's easy to say, well, just don't give up. When you're in the thick of it, when life is heavy, when you know what, whatever it is, could be sickness, could be relationship, could be you know loved ones hurting. When you're in the thick of it, what do you do to remember that then? I, I think well, I, I I think of two things. One is um, that there there are going to be things that I have no control over, and and there's going to be part of that that I do. So work hard on the things that you do have control over and then pray on the ones that you don't. And, and, and the bigger the battle, you know, God, God, if God's behind you, he's already won this battle. So just faith. Um, that's not always easy because it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to have doubts. Um, you know, even the, you know, even, Jesus was questioning his dad, you know, do you really, do we really still need to go through this? Right. So, um, uh, and then it's, it's just like, I think just knowing that things are going to be hard and, and, and that it's, it's like a season that it'll get easier. So like I'm, I use a, a, a marathon as an example to patients that I've done. So I've removed part of their lungs, so I've had to go between the ribs, and that hurts a lot. So um, getting them out of bed's a challenge. And so I say, look, this is this is a marathon. There's going to be some hills that you got to run, but there's going to be downhill too. So I think just knowing that that that, that there's going to be relief somewhere down the road that that helps. You know, you can you can stand in cold water longer if you know that there's going to be a limit to how long you're there. Sure. Sure, sure. So for you, being a trauma surgeon, you've, so not only have you experienced your life and the ups and downs, um, when you, when you see patients that triumph, like are there, are there common themes or threads, like just, just, what, what are the, what are the survivors doing differently? 
I don't know how else to explain. And I know there's a broad range of, of yeah. patients, but. Um, well, I mean, I've had patients that were kind of on the fence before, had a big complication from a surgery, and then afterwards saw bright lights and saw images that they they knew Jesus existed, and they they became Christians. And so uh, that's one, I think. Um, you know, in, in trauma, um, it, it's easy to say because you see a lot of young people in car uh, collisions, and this their, their age helps them quite a bit. So muscle mass is another one. So if you're in good shape and you work out, that always helps. And, and I think, I think it's the people who probably have faced adversity before that, that do the best because they just know, again, like they know it's, this is something that they'll overcome. So they, they're motivated and I, you know, having athletes as patients, I love because they just know what pain's like. So they suffer through whatever training they've done, the hours they've had to get up and, you know, the, but they're motivated. So I think it's motivation. So, and that's, that's where coaches come in. I mean, I'm a coach. I operate and then I'm a coach. So come on, we got to get you out of bed. I'm going to help you. And we're going to walk the hallway. So, yeah. um, I think the ones that are coachable are the ones that do the best. Yeah. So love that you say that you're a coach and I never, I've never heard any other doctor, uh, use that, but, but of course, of, yeah. of course. Yeah. You know, you tell someone that they've got breast cancer and they think they're dead this next week, you know, and it's like, nope, you know, look, this is, this is not great, but we're going to get through this, you know? And I'm going to walk it with you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Leadership. How do you balance just the, you know, you, as a surgeon in my head, that's a, that's a very, um, it takes a lot. It could take a lot. It draws a lot out of a person, right? It's it's right. it's not light work that you do, um, no. and and you're still, um, you know, a leader in, in in the organization you work with. I'd imagine you're a leader at home. You've still got wife and your children. Like, how do you how do you balance all that and make it all go the way it's supposed to, or the way you um, like? It? Yeah, I, I'll say that I lead, I think, just about everything um, like it's a team. And I, I do that because then everybody's got skin in the game. You know, I mean, when you're a football team and you come back to the huddle and you were the receiver that dropped the ball, you feel bad to the quarterback who um, is the leader because you dropped the ball and you let them down, right? And then you let the team down because we're not further down the field. So when you lead as a team and that everybody is, is essential to that team, um, and, and the Christians speak of that as, you know, the, the body of, of Christians, you know, Jesus at the head and we're the different organs. 
is in the Bible, you know, and that you can, if you don't have kidneys, you're not going to live. So everybody's essential to everybody else. So, and I lead that way. I make my boys, you know, lead things and, and, um, and they're part of the team. And then again, they'll, if they do something wrong, they know they let down the family. So family is a team. Um, same with, with being a trauma medical director. It's, you know, everybody in that room and really the whole hospital is part of that team because we get reviewed every three years by the American College of Surgeons and they look at the pre-hospital uh, rates of, you know, putting a tube in someone's trachea and failure rates and they look at the response times and I've got a hammer over those people, meaning, I, you know, I need to look at those and say, look, you guys need to get there more quickly or you need to put larger IVs in people than what you're doing or, and then same with the hospital from the ER to, you know, being discharged in rehab, the whole, the whole system. So, but I mean, I think God, God's, you know, somehow he's kept pride out of my life, which I love because, you know, I don't like wearing scrubs outside the hospital. I think, I hope I'm not insulting any docs out there, but, you know, I just think that, that you do that to get attention. So, and I really just like water polo and I, I did, never told the team what I did. I needed to earn my spot on that team. And so being called tank was a huge, you know, compliment. And then, um, it wasn't like for probably three years before I think, I think what happened was, one of my teammates got headbutted, had a big head laceration, and I go, I can suture that up. And they're like, are you a medic or what? No, no. And that's when they found out what I did. So, um, and I had a suture kit in my car, so who else has those things? But, um, uh, yeah, so I think, I think it's a team approach. And then, yeah, as far as managing time and stuff like that, I mean, my wife swore she'd never marry a doc because they're married to their job. But somehow I'm there. I've never missed, you know, a recital for the girls or a soccer game for any of the kids or, you know, um, I've just been blessed to be able to be there for them. And then, um, in there's part of my life I'm, I'm in complete control over, like when I'm not on call, but when I'm on call for the hospital, then I have no control. So then I, I have to respond within, you know, I have to call back within two minutes or so, and then I have to be there within 20 minutes. So, um, you kind of, that's the only time I won't have control, but I, I'll make sure that there's not something going on those days that I'm on call. So I have control over when I'm not, in, I'm not in control, so to speak. So that works. <laughs> you say that phrase, I have control over when I'm not, <laughs> not in control. I'm going yeah. to write that down and keep track of that because there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's some, Thanks. well, I, I think, I think sometimes we feel like we're not in control, but if we back up about three steps, we, we often realize or could realize that, you know, had I chosen B instead of A, I wouldn't be in this position right oh. now where I'm lacking control. So I love that line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. real quick, as we, before we wind down, I'm curious about your faith journey. Um, so your mom, before she adopted you, she made sure you were baptized. Why right. don't you raise Catholic, et cetera? And there's, in my experience, there's being raised Catholic or Christian or whatever. 
And then there's having a relationship with the Lord. Right. Right. When did you begin having a relationship? I have a sense that you have a relationship with Jesus. When I do. Did, when did that develop? I, you know, I'll, I'll be a hundred percent honest. So, um, not, you know, I shouldn't have said that. I had a professor that would say, you know, I'll, well, when you say something like, well, let me tell you the truth. What are you doing all the other times? Right. Um, <laughs> so, um, raised Catholic confirmed, um, just John as my, my, uh, confirmation name, which I love. And I didn't have the insight back then of how meaningful that was. Um, because I love the way John writes, you know, the, the, the disciple who Jesus loved the most or <laughs> his friend type thing or the disciple that beat Peter to the tomb. Um, but then he was too afraid to walk in. But um, uh, so, yeah, I would say I was a believer for, for as far back as I can go, but not a follower. So, you know, I would go to college, didn't really go to church. Uh, same with med school, got married during med school, uh, would take my wife and kids to church and, and I would drop them off and my church would be going around on my patients. And, um, but you know, I, so it wasn't probably until our oldest daughter uh, played club volleyball and, and on the club, it was composed of several different high schools and they, they formed a Bible study and they were going to a church that was, um, a professor was a professor at Santa Clara university. Uh, and I, I she said, you need to come. And so I did. And then I just loved the putting the Bible into context of history and all the things that he would do. And so, and then he, he, uh, through an, also an anesthesiologist that I trained with at UC Davis in residency, uh, had me go on a mission trip to Honduras and that was 2010. And then we went on another one, uh, in November of 2010 to Haiti, um, with 62 people. And that, that whole trip is in the book because just kidding. There was a miracle yeah. for everybody. And then the things that happened there, um, that, uh, came about was a miracle. But, um, so th I think it wasn't, you know, until about 2009, eight, that I was really more of a follower and, and, you know, into Jesus and who he was and the servant that he is and, um, you know, being a follower. And, and then that being said, now, you know, uh, reading James, you know, it's not just faith. It's, you know, you need to do, you need to be the light. So the great commission. So getting out there, um, and being that. So like, I just got back from Uganda, um, the end of, uh, last month and I knew I couldn't operate there. Um, Honduras, I get to operate because the, we've got a surgery center that was built for this, the team that I go with. And, um, I knew I wasn't, but I knew I was still going to use my gifts, which is, like I said, empathy, um, teaching and, um, healing. And I, I prayed about it. And so the team noticed that I probably saw 80 patients. The first clinic, there was 600 and something that we saw the first 
first day and then over a thousand the next next clinic day and i prayed for i i would ask them if i could pray for them and if they're a believer and in uganda they'll say they're born again if they are and so i would take their hands and i would because i had a list of what they were there for and i could do medical things like prescribe malaria medication or typhoid or you know uh, pain pain medications and things like that um so I would do medicine things, but my hands weren't being used except to, and that's what I, I got the message to do was just grab their hands and, and, and pray for what they're ill about and that the medicine works and that, that, that they, they heal and specifically what those problems were. And if they brought, usually I would see a, a woman with like two of her kids would be with her and they would have some 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 issue that needed to be looked at and taken care of. So I pray about them and our family. And, and so people who are on the trip commented, every time I go look at Thayer, I mean, he's, he's praying. <laughs> so so that, that was, you know, and who knows? I, I, I love that God doesn't really show me the ripple of what I do. I've seen it a couple of times, but um, like Ralph in the chapter, the last chapter of the book was one of those, but, Um, you know, I, it's not me, it's God through me. The the book is about my life, but it's really about God through my life. So, um, just blessed to be able to, 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 to do that and to hold someone's hands and pray for them. And the smile that you'd get when they would bring their face up was incredible. (laughs) What a gift. That's amazing. So you mentioned several times and and then we're going to ask this, then we'll head for wrap up, but uh, these gifts of empathy, teaching, and healing. Did you like? Did when did you discover that these three specific things are are your gifting? And how? What does that process look like? Yeah, so I'm, I, I'm tortured by my wife. She's um, she's she's a genius. She finished high school. She finished college when she was 18. So, um, she's she's uh, she's a health coach. So she's into, I always call them edamomigrams, and, but it's an enneagram of, you know, um, what's the other one? Uh, Myers Briggs, the disc test. So, and there, there, there's a spiritual personality test you could take. And that's where I got that. Um, the disc I've changed. I was a, I think an ID or a DI, and now I'm more spread out. Um, I'm an achiever as an Enneagram and Mars Briggs. I think I'm an INTJ and I've probably morphed trying and speaking, you know, as an introvert into an INFJ. So, um, so I, I discovered those through Bible studies that we would do as a group and look at them and go over what we found out about ourselves. So personal development. Yeah, very cool. Very, very cool. So, listeners, the book is called Saved, One Trauma Surgeon's True Accounts of the Miracles in His Life. And Craig Thayer, our guest, is that author. Craig, uh, where else? It's available on Amazon, both in paperback and audiobook. I've got the the screen pulled in front of me. Where else? For anybody that wants to get a hold of you, learn more, connect with you, what's the best way to do so? I, I think I love simplicity, so I would just go to my website, which is craigthayer.net, 
and you'll find, you'll find the link to the book. You'll find the link of what I'm doing, where I'm speaking, uh, what's going on in my life. So, uh, and then if you get the audible, that's where you're going to go anyway to look at the photos that were in the book. So outstanding. Thank you. Before yeah. you go, if you would please leave all of us listening with one important or impactful question that we should be asking ourselves. Um, I, I'll go back to self-examine what you think your purpose is in life. Find the gifts that you have. So another question of research those and then use them for good to serve people. Um, and you're going to feel incredible. Cool. This has been amazing. Thanks, Craig. Really appreciate, appreciate you being here. Yeah. Great time. Great questions. Thank you so much. A pleasure. Listeners, thank you for being here as always. And before you go, I'm going to leave you with this. Whatever grand vision you've been given, whatever dream God has put on your heart, remember you can. Until next time, be bold, be humble, stay healthy, stay hopeful, and live life strong. Peace to you, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. For even more on turning trials into triumphs and seeking and embracing success, go to toddhalls.life. That's toddhalls.life. And I look forward to serving you. Until next time, be strong, be bold, be humble, stay healthy, stay hopeful. Peace to you.